As we're getting into Colossians, we got the privilege last week of pretty much filling up the front of the auditorium with students going on mission trips to Nicaragua and to Miami and giving up free time, giving up catching up with schoolwork time, giving up hanging out with their folks or their friends time because there's people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we got an update from some of our missionaries in South Asia um, I don't know, yesterday or a couple of days ago, and uh, they're asking for prayer because a house church that was meeting, um, somebody didn't like it, and so they called, or they worked up a mob, and they brought in a, a mob into the church that was meeting, and they beat everybody that was present. There's a price attached to getting the gospel to the dark places. It's going to take a price, and it's no less a price to give up our breaks and our financial and our, the time that would be ours. And it's no less a price to be persecuted for the faith. It's going to take a price if the gospel is going to get to the hard places of the world. And when I say the hard places of the world, I mean Miami. I mean Georgia Southern. I mean Statesboro, Georgia. I mean... Iraq and Iran, and I mean South Asian, I mean East Asian, I mean Peru, and I mean all the places where darkness reigns. They're all hard. They're all hard in their own ways. And so the question just comes to us as a church, and the question comes to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to pay a price so that the gospel gets to every pocket of darkness that still exists in the world? Didn't initially sketch this out as a missionary message. And then you go get into the passage, and it's a missionary message. So there we go. God's Word says what God's Word says, and we're going to look at it. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now, we've already kind of gotten the flow of the book together, of the book of Colossians. And we've seen that there's a false teaching that's very present, and that's one of the reasons Paul is writing to this church. He had never been there. He didn't found the church. He reached and discipled the guy that went and planted this church. But a, a message had come that there's a false teaching that was present, and the false teaching that was present had something to do with this severe asceticism, that is, this rigid, severe self-discipline that was designed to produce some form of experience, some form of what they would call fullness, something a little deeper and a little better than Jesus. And Paul, as of yet, has not confronted the false teaching head on. He has simply said, here is Jesus in all his glory. Here is Jesus in all his beauty. Let me just lay this positive case for the supremacy and the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Because that's the case. That's the answer. And then he'll get into the details a little later. And so he's done that. He's given this great hymn of the supremacy of Christ as he created all things. And he's the firstborn over creation. And everything was made through him. And everything was made for him. And he's done it as he talked about he's the firstborn from the dead. And he's the head of the body of the church. And he's reconciled everything, whether it be the demonic realm or the created realm or the people that he has redeemed. He has done that to reconcile a body to himself, or to reconcile people through the blood of his cross. And so he is supreme both over creation and the new creation, which is redemption. And he's talked about very specifically how he took us who were alienated, distanced from God, enemies of God, and reconciled us together through his death. And then he closed out that passage that leads into ours by saying this gospel that's for everybody this gospel God called me to be a minister of. 
And he's going to talk about the ministry that's been entrusted to him in 24 through 29. The ministry that was entrusted to him to get the gospel to the Gentiles, the gospel to the nations. And the ministry that he has now turned over and entrusted and the apostles have entrusted to the church that has been left behind by their work. And so, you have been, we have been entrusted with getting the gospel to all people. We have been entrusted with getting the gospel to all people. It has to get to everyone. As one missionary said, it is only good news if it gets there in time. So let's pray, then let's read, then let's get into the text. Father, I pray for a growing gospel burden in our lives. A burden for the gospel that crushes out our excuses of busyness, that crushes out our fear, that crushes out our weariness of danger, and that throws us into a world of need. A world of desperate, dark, lost need. Father, I pray that we would give our lives and our efforts and our sweat and our tears and our blood so that the gospel may get everywhere to everyone, both here and all over the earth. So, Father, raise that up inside of us. Start with us in this room right now. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we have been entrusted with getting the gospel to all people. Colossians is built to this point. There is a Jesus that made everything. There is a Jesus that has started a church for every person. This universal, glorious, supreme Jesus. This gospel that's for the world. It's for everyone. And then Paul talked about being a minister of that. He's like, I, I was given the task of getting this everywhere. But Paul died 1,900 years ago. And all the other apostles died over 1,900 years ago. And what they left was a church. A church founded on the doctrine, founded on the work of the apostles. And so the stewardship that Paul had for the nations is now a stewardship that the church has for the nations. And that's what we are looking at. It is on you and it is on me to engage our neighbors. And it is on you and it is on me to engage the people I work with. Well, not the people I work because they're mostly supposed to be saved. But the people that you work with, supposed to help you and equip you to reach them. The people that, that our kids play ball with and, and their folks. The people that you sit by in class every day. It's on us. The task of taking the gospel to these pockets of lostness. And so let's look at it. The first part, if we've been entrusted to getting the gospel, it's going to require some things. And the first thing it's going to require... It's going to require that we will suffer. We will suffer if we want to make God's word fully known. We will suffer if we want to make God's word fully known. Now, suffering for the sake of the gospel is not something that is a really present part of our experience. And that's not a knock on you and it's not a knock on me. It's, it's purely the choice of God that he allowed us and placed us to be born in a country called America that had uh, a sense of history of, uh, of being established in God and a sense of freedom um, that we've been entrusted with. And so it's, it's just the case. We, we don't have to pay the same price for the gospel that people around the world do. But people around the world pay severe prices. People around the world pay extremely severe prices. And so one of my professors made a statement that stuck with me. 
I'm not going to say how many years. I don't even know if I remember how many years ago that he made this statement. But he said, do not give up in freedom what your brothers and sisters around the world will not give up in persecution. They will be beaten, they will be imprisoned, and they will be killed, but they will not give up the gospel. And so don't give up in freedom where it may cost you some rejection, it may cost you some friends, it may cost you not being liked, it may cost you a grade, it may cost you whatever. But don't give up in freedom, in relative freedom, a gospel that people will not give up if they are beaten for it. And that really stuck with me. And I think that's what we're seeing in this text play out is don't give up for suffering. Don't give up this gospel. And so that's why we're focusing this year on who is your one. Who is the one person that you're supposed to serve and to share with? Who is that person that you're just supposed to unlock this? this, You know, because as Christians, for the most part in America, most of us will live and die and never win anybody to Jesus. And, and, And that's probably not a fair statement. Most of us will live and die and never even, you know, share our faith in Jesus with other people. And that's kind of where we are. And it's not to beat you up. It's not to beat me up. It's to unlock within us this fresh burden. And so how do we get from none to one? Identify one human being in your circle that you can practically, hands-on, serve and love with the gospel. And then over time, share the gospel with them. Because if we don't start with one, we're not going to start. And so that's why we focus on that. Because there's this, there's this gospel that has to get out. And it even has to get out to a religious Statesboro community. It's, the gospel still has to save people here. And it's got to break them out of religion to, that they trust in to a gospel of Jesus Christ that they trust in. But if we don't do one, we'll never do any. And so, who's your one? And that's why we focus on going deeper with one. We want to have discipling relationships so that we become deep followers of Jesus Christ who make other followers of Jesus. So let's look at it. Let's go into the text. Verse 24 and 25. I didn't read it yet, did I? Sorry about that. Let's read the text. Here we go. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All right, so let's get an overview of the text as we try to do, and then we'll jump into the first part, which is going to deal with suffering. And so it begins with this suffering of Paul. Paul's suffering is designed or required so that the gospel gets to all the Gentiles. And we'll get into that in a second, but that's, that's the first part. Suffering is what's required for the gospel to get to the nations. And then the second part he expands on is there is a message that we have been given. He refers to it as a mystery. There is a message, this word of God being fully known. We have been given a message. And the message is Christ in you is the hope of glory, the gospel, the saving work of God. There's a message. Suffering is required to get it to the world. There's a message. And if there is a message, then it requires messengers. 
And so it requires somebody to go and proclaim it. It requires somebody to go and not just live a good life in front of lost people, but actually proclaim and declare the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's the flow. Suffering is required. If it's going to get there, here's the message. Now go proclaim it. So let's look first as we talk about the suffering. And Paul talks about being made a minister of this, right? And so he's a minister of the gospel. The word there is the word for deacon, and so it's just the, not the office of deacon, it's the word for servant in the underlying text. And so Paul is a servant, and the word for servant, the table waiter. And so Paul has got a plate of the gospel, and his call, his charge, is to go serve this plate of the gospel to the table of the nations. So that he places before everyone the meal of the gospel, so that they might believe it and they might be saved. And so Paul has been made a minister. Paul has been made a table waiter of this gospel to serve it out. To people, And so then let's look at the text. We're getting into probably one of the most difficult to translate, or I'm sorry, difficult to interpret verses of the book of Colossians. And so we're going to jump in and see if we can make some sense of it. Look at it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now that's pretty innocuous. That's pretty normal. Paul talks this way a lot. He rejoices that he gets to suffer. Why does he get to suffer? He gets to suffer for the sake of the Gentile believers, especially at Colossae, but he gets to suffer, and he suffers with joy, because that's what it takes for the gospel to get to Gentile people like the Colossian church. And so I gladly rejoice that I get to suffer so that the gospel can come to you. And this is normal language for Paul. He talks about, um, in Second Corinthians, he says, we carry about in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed to you. And so suffering for the gospel, that's, that's pretty normal. The, the apostles in the, books of, in the book of Acts said it this way. Uh, they were beaten, and it said they left, and they rejoiced, being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is this normal thing, and joy attached to suffering for the sake of the gospel is this normal thing. And so Paul's like, I rejoice in my sufferings. My sufferings that are for your sake. They're for the Gentiles coming to Christ. That's what it takes. But then we get this very strange phrase. This really hard to interpret phrase. So I, my sufferings are for your sake. And in my flesh, in my suffering flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So if you read that on the surface level and you just pass over that statement, it might seem to say, well, Jesus suffered, but there was a little something missing. And I, Paul, am taking care of it. I'm completing what Jesus didn't quite get to. And that, of course, would be this thing called heresy. It would be heresy to say, you know, Jesus on the cross did a lot of great stuff, but here I am. I'm going to finish up what he started. And so that's clearly not what he's saying. We talked in our scripture interpretation class this morning. Start with the context. Is he saying that Paul is filling up the redemptive sufferings of Jesus? That he is helping Jesus save people? No. Because in verse 20, what did he just talk about? Jesus, through his cross, has reconciled all things to himself. Jesus did that on his cross, by himself, everything. In verse 22, you who are alienated, he has reconciled by his death, Jesus' death, done. If you were to go to John chapter 19, it would say, Jesus' last words on the cross are, it is finished. It's finished. 
The atoning work is done. Everything necessary for salvation is done. I have completed the work. It's finished. And so we know it doesn't mean Paul came along and said, Okay, Jesus, I'm going to take care of some some more redemption for you. So the question then becomes, what does it mean? What does it mean? And so here's my stab at what it means. All right, and so here's the, the simplest statement I can make about it, and then we'll get into it is, I believe what Paul is saying is, it is going to require sufferings to take the sufferings of Jesus to all the nations. And so what is required is, I am going to suffer so that the gospel gets everywhere. I am going to suffer so that the gospel gets to the far corners of the earth. And so in my sufferings, I'm completing the sufferings of Jesus, meaning I'm bringing the sufferings of Jesus to every place in the world it hasn't gotten yet. And so it's not that I'm making them better because they lack something. It's I'm taking them where they have not gone yet. And so let's see if in the context that makes sense. And so Paul is a minister of the gospel that has been proclaimed in all creation. That was just before our passage. So Paul's task is to take the gospel to all creation. In our passage itself... I am filling up in my flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, for the sake of gathering people from among the earth to believe in Jesus and gather as his church. And so that's what's lacking is there is a church that hasn't been gathered yet. There are lost who have not been saved yet and gathered and applied the saving work of Jesus yet. And then if you see in the next verse, what is Paul's goal with all of this? Or or what's his purpose? I need to make the word of God fully known. And so whatever the sufferings he is and whatever is lacking has to do with getting God's word to be known in fullness. And in the last little context, you can see at the very end of our passage, what does he say? What's his ministry? What's his goal? To proclaim Christ. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. Teaching everyone. So that we can present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul's goal is to take the word called the gospel, bring it to the nations. To do that is going to mean suffering. To do that is going to mean he pays a bodily, physical, painful price, and there's no way around it. And so in that sense, the sufferings of Jesus are extended. They are taken to the nations by the sufferings of Paul for the church, for the people who will believe in the message. All right, does that make sense? He is going to extend the gospel through suffering. And in that sense, take the sufferings of Jesus and extend them to the world. Okay, so, for your sake, or I mean, for your sake I have suffered. And then he goes into the next verse and he talks about this gospel that we're talking about. I became a minister. Same word, deacon, table waiter of the gospel. According to the stewardship, that is from God. So he has been entrusted with something. He has been entrusted with a ministry. He has been entrusted with a message called the gospel to take it. And it requires suffering. So here's the question for us as a church. To get the gospel to our neighbors, to get the gospel to our friends, to our relatives, to our co-workers, to get the gospel to the nations, a price must be paid. The question is, who's going to pay it? Because either the church will pay it temporarily to go... And you and I will pay it temporarily to go? Or the lost will pay it eternally apart from Christ? Either we will get the gospel to them or forever they will be separated from the gospel. 
And so the missionary task, the missionary burden is placed on us, not out of guilt, but out of joy. We rejoice. We rejoice that we have been given this gospel. And out of hearts of joy, we rejoice to suffer so that somebody might believe in the name of Jesus. We rejoice to suffer so that somebody who is stealing the glory of Jesus and giving it to the dollars in their bank account will instead return the glory of Jesus to himself. We rejoice to pay a price for that to happen. We rejoice if a thousand people hate us, if one will love Jesus. We rejoice if a thousand people impale us with spears if one will believe in Jesus. We rejoice if we have to go a million miles of weary travel in this earth of destitute poverty and everybody hating us in the process. We rejoice if one of them will believe in Jesus. That's what it means for the gospel to get to people. That's what it means that it will take a price for the gospel to get there from here. It means if our whole neighborhood burn something in our yard because we dared to share Jesus and break their little bubble, we rejoice because one of them might believe in Jesus through it. If the whole campus hates us and they kick us out of school, we would rejoice because Jesus would get the glory from one person that he's worthy of it that is not giving it to them currently. That's what the missionary task is about. It's not... I'm going to just guilt my way into this driven duty of letting people know about Jesus. It is I'm going to rejoice my way in the face of whatever it takes that someone God is calling from darkness into light would have the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus and be called and believe. All right, verse 25. I became a minister of this gospel. I became a table waiter of this gospel. According to his stewardship, And what was the stewardship? To make the word of God fully known or known in fullness. So twice now in our passage, this key word that shows up through Colossians has happened. Fullness. I want to give the fullness to Christ's afflictions. I want to give the fullness of the word of God to people. And so the caution, false teaching says, look, there's fullness somewhere else. There's fullness in your experience. There's fullness if you can just, you know, beat yourself into submission enough. And Paul says, no, there is fullness in Jesus Christ. There is fullness in this gospel that he has given us. You don't need anyone or anything outside of this gospel to be 100% totally, completely full and overflowing. You don't need a great teacher You don't need great music. You don't need great conferences. You need Jesus, and he's enough. And then he graciously gives his body great music, and he graciously gives his body great teaching, and he graciously gives his body these gifts. But none of them is what's required. Jesus, and only Jesus, is all that's required for fullness, for total, complete, sufficient fullness. So step one, it will take suffering. It will take suffering. There will be a price to be paid for the gospel to get there from here. Second, we have a message of incomparable worth that's been revealed. We have a message of incomparable worth. Christ, our only hope of salvation. Christ, our only hope of salvation. Some of you guys have been deeply depressed this week because you went through Super Tuesday and your candidate did not win. Didn't you? You had a little day of mourning. You had a little pity party on Wednesday. You were fearful and you were fretful. The world is falling. The sky is falling. 
It's okay. We're not going to ask you for confession. But what you need to understand, and what I need to understand, is the Democratic Party is offering a message of salvation through equality or whatever else. And the Republican Party is offering a message of salvation through safety and security and prosperity. You will be okay. We will save you by bringing prosperity. We will save you by bringing equality. When you think of it in those terms, it brings a little more clarity to it, doesn't it? I'm not supposed to look for my salvation in a group of politicians, am I? I'm not supposed to find the gospel there. I'm not supposed to find the gospel in America being perfectly free and perfectly prosperous and perfectly safe. It's great to have those things. Wonderful. But that's not my salvation. And so at best, what these political parties can offer you and offer me is a very broken person, and it's usually not the best we get, right? We don't get the best of, and brightest of humanity doing this, okay? I'm just going to say that. It's my last political statement. We don't get the best and brightest of humanity doing this. So we get very broken people offering very broken solutions and a very broken agenda to try to fix problems that usually create more. There's no salvation there. There is no lasting hope there for you. But do you know where there is lasting hope? Do you know where there is a salvation? In Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to Democrats and says, Welcome to my kingdom. I'll save you. And Jesus Christ comes to Republicans and he says, Welcome to my kingdom. I will save you. And he comes to the rich and says, Welcome to my kingdom. I'll save you. And he comes to the poor and says, Welcome to my kingdom. I'll save you. And he comes to the people with the most horrible backgrounds you can possibly imagine, as sinful as they can possibly be, and he says, I will totally wash you clean and you will be whiter than snow and I will save you. And then he comes to religious people who have been so good and so pretty all their lives. He says, I'll forgive you of that self-righteous sin and I will save you. He has a message of salvation that offers true permanent solutions to the true core problem of your life and my life. And it is that we are broken sinners who have been separated from a holy God hopelessly. And it doesn't matter what country you're born in and what political system there is, nothing can take away that stain. Nothing can adopt you into the family of God. Except for Jesus. But Jesus is 100%, totally, 1,000% willing to extend His gospel and His grace to those who believe. And so there is a message of the gospel that, Jesus, that, that we are separated from Him, all of us. Man, it doesn't matter how good we looked coming in here. It doesn't matter how good a life we've had leading up to this point. Apart from Christ, we are desperately, eternally, infinitely sinful people who are separated from God. And the difference between infinitely being separated from God and I was a good person, so I'm, a little, you know, I'm that much closer to infinite, or totally wretched, totally apart from Jesus, totally sinful. You know, I'm, I'm that much further from Jesus, infinitely. And he came into the world to save religious sinners and to save pagan sinners and to save everybody else. And he died on a, he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross for your sins. For my sins. And he was buried. And he rose again from the dead. That's what we're celebrating this week. He ascends into heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit, and he sends his Holy Spirit through his church into the world with his gospel to say, come and believe I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will wash you whiter than snow. 
I will adopt you you into my family. I will give you belonging into my family. I will save you. That's what he offers. That's the message. We have a message. It's not Chris's message. That would be worthless to you. It's not Fletcher's message. That would be totally worthless to you. It is God has given us a message from himself that says, if you will repent of your sins, you will turn and you will put your faith in Jesus, your true, deep, converted, total, changed faith in Jesus, he will save you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a message, and that message has incomparable worth. Can you see how that message is worth so much more than what party wins in November? I think it's November. Can you see how that is so much more valuable than all the things you hope in today? And all the things you trust in today? And all the things you think are going to give you satisfaction today? There is a message that's worth so much more than that. Let's look at it. Verse 26 and 27. The mystery. So he's describing what is the word of God fully known. It's a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed. And so a mystery on its simplest form, its simplest explanation, is something that was in the Old Testament and it was veiled. Or it was in the Old Testament and it was shadowed and we couldn't fully get it. But when Jesus came, it was revealed to us. In Jesus, the shadow becomes substance. In Jesus, the veil is torn off and we're able to see very clearly. And it's something that's used throughout the New Testament. It's used in Romans. It's used in Ephesians. It's used in Colossians. It's used in Timothy to describe this Old Testament truth that is now being a living color for us. And so let me read a few of those for you. Uh, In Romans, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, listen to this, according to the revelation of the mystery. What's the mystery? The gospel, the preaching of Jesus. Ephesians 3 Let me skip down. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise through Christ Christ Jesus. So what is the mystery? It's it's the central person of Jesus Christ, and it's got these different shades. So like in Ephesians, we're thinking, okay, there's going to be a Jewish church and a Gentile church, and as long as we're separate, we can be separate but equal. Mm -mm. In the Old Testament, the Gentiles could kind of come into the Jewish body through jumping through the hoops. Mm -mm. In Christ... Jew and Gentile will be stepped right on top of each other, totally equal in the promises, totally equal in the covenant, totally equal in the church. That's a mystery that Jesus unlocked when he came. Colossians 2, 2, their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance, and this is in our context now, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Christ. What's the mystery? Jesus What's the mystery that Jesus has opened up a way of salvation for Jew and Gentile alike? What is the mystery that Jesus has taken and formed this new body called the church and everybody is equal in it? The mystery that has been hidden has now been revealed. And it is this rich mystery. The word for riches is the word for like overflowing with value. Like busting at the seams rich. And that's how this mystery is described for us. It is busting at the seams. It's like if I put another penny into this thing it's going to bust open it's that's how overflowing and rich it is the riches of the glory of this mystery christ in you the hope of glory christ in you me the hope of glory and it has two senses christ in me indwelling me as a believer in jesus christ he has placed his spirit in me he lives inside of me 
He dwells in me. That is my guarantee. The no doubt cannot be broken guarantee of participating in the glory of God for all eternity. But it has a second sense. And that is Christ in you, plural. Christ in the church. Christ among the Gentiles. Our hope of glory. Our hope of full participation in salvation in the church. So Christ is in the church. And that is our guarantee and our hope of participating in the eternal, joy-filled glory of God. That's the mystery. That's the truth that was hidden that is now in living color HD. Christ is in you, believer. Christ is in you, church. And that is the guarantee of glory. It's the guarantee that you will walk into eternal glory one day. That's exciting, by the way. All right. One more. One more step. If that's the truth, if that's the message, if it's worth that, we can labor to proclaim Jesus to everyone for salvation and maturity. We can labor to proclaim Jesus to everyone for salvation and for maturity. You see, the gospel, I think we think, oh man, I got this gospel in the past, I got saved, great, wonderful, punch the ticket, I'll just kind of coast a little bit, and then I'll die and I'll get to heaven and everything's great. Man, the gospel touches every single area of life. The gospel walks into marriages that are just fading, and it says, look, I have given you a love for each other, Because I've loved you in the cross. This radical love that can conquer that. I have forgiven you. You can forgive each other. And you don't have to live in bitterness anymore. The gospel touches marriage. The gospel touches your friendships with each other. Where you can speak truth. And you can encourage. And you can lift up. And you can help people navigate the course of life together. The gospel touches your work. Because you don't work for your boss. You work for Jesus. And so you can work heartily unto the Lord, not to please men, but to please Him. And so everything you do is service to King Jesus. Everything you do at work is worship to King Jesus. Do I worship Jesus by how I work? Because the gospel touches everything. Let's look at the last verse. I'd encourage you to memorize this one. It's one of the early ones I memorized. Him we proclaim. What's the message? What's the content? Jesus. Him. Jesus. That's who we preach. That's all we preach. That's all we care about. Jesus care about the politics. Here's Jesus. I don't care about the other stuff. Here's Jesus. Him we proclaim. How? Warning everyone. Warning is the word for to confront someone with the intention of changing them. And so I would say he warns lost people. He confronts lost people with the intention of changing them into believers. He confronts straying Christians with the intention of bringing them into following Jesus. Him we preach. Jesus. And if I preach Jesus, he will warn your lost people to come to Christ. And if I preach Jesus, he will warn your straying, sending self back to Jesus. And notice who? Warning everyone. Everyone. Teaching everyone. That is, instructing in systematic ways, line upon line, building the faith into somebody from the beginning to the end to mature them, teaching them with all wisdom. Why? That we may present... At the end of time, before the throne, people mature. Everyone mature. You picked up on the everyone, right? We warn everyone. We teach everyone. We want to present everyone mature. That's the goal. As long as there is a soul left that hasn't heard, a soul left that is short of maturity of a disciple of Jesus Christ, as long as there's one human being left, 
There's work to do. And by the way, there's billions of them. So there's plenty of work to do, right? And so the goal is that we present them complete, mature, perfect. A few verses ago, Jesus reconciled us and he, it said he presented us to himself. That is to bring before a judge and to let them stand and say, examine them. And if you examine them, Jesus will present you holy and perfect without blame. And that's true of every believer. But look what Paul's doing. I am partnering in the work of Jesus and I am taking someone and I am giving everything I have to walk them to the throne of Jesus practically and say, here you go, Jesus. Here's a disciple. Here you go, Jesus. Here's someone who is following you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here you go, Jesus. Here is someone that is matured and complete. That's his goal. And his goal isn't to just get one there. His goal is to get every single human being on the planet there. Everyone. Man, that sounds exhausting. You're right. Paul admits it. In the next verse, for this I toil. Toil is to labor to the point of exhaustion. It's labor to the point where if I were to take another step with sweat dripping off of me, I would collapse. And Paul says, that's what I do. I labor till I am 100% spent, exhausted, and sweaty. I collapse in my bed. I get up and I do it again the next day. That's his description. That's, that's his ministry life. And then notice the interplay here. Struggling. The word for struggling is the word for athletes or a team that are competing for a goal. And so an athlete who's willing to pay the very painful price to win the gold medal. That's going to come with straining and striving and training and breaking and wearying themselves and collapse. I struggle. I contend with all the pain that that requires with his energy that energizes me. Same word, energy and work in that verse is the same. And so I am, I am struggling with all his energy that energizes me. And so there is a sense in which to the very end of my human capacity, I work until exhaustion. And then there's a sense of which the grace power of God operating inside of me empowers me to do more and be more than I could ever comprehend so that the gospel labors don't ever stop. And that's what Paul kind of shares with the church. And what I would say is this. There are things that are worth sacrificing for in your life. There is things in your life that are worth giving every drop of energy you have. There are things that you can get your family around the table for and say, this is worth our sacrifice. This is worth our blood and our sweat and our energy and our time and our money. It's worth paying a price for. And as long as it centers on Jesus and his work, you know that it's worth that. It's worth exhausting yourself for. It is worth paying a price for. It's worth it. Now, I did not say simply coming to the church and keeping the church running is necessarily that answer. Jesus and his work is worth you giving up everything, paying every price, exhausting yourself for day in and day out. Jesus and his work. And yes, we try as a church to very much zero in on that. We try not to add so much extra that we're killing people. We try to focus what we're doing so that it makes sense to build up the body into maturity and reach people with the gospel. We, we do try that. And so we do invite you, and we try to invite you to things that will be valuable spiritually and valuable for the world. Try that. But as a family, there is a set of things that Jesus would say, you sweat 
and you work and you sacrifice till you complete it. Every single one of our families would say that to you. Just make sure it's the right things. Make sure it's the ones Jesus is calling you to pay a price for. Make sure it's the ones Jesus is saying, sacrifice for this. Because there are. A couple of practical things as we close. First, count the cost of following and sharing Jesus. Count the cost of following and sharing Jesus. He is worth it. The need is so desperately urgent. His glory is being robbed. The gospel is that urgent. But you don't need me to tell you that answer. You need to personalize that. You need to sit down with God and count the cost. What is the cost of following Jesus in every area of my life? What is the cost to following Jesus every area? My home and my work, my free time. What's the cost of getting the gospel to the people I know? But you've got to answer that for you, and I've got to answer that for me. I've got to answer, Jesus, you're worth it to follow you even when it's hard. I've got to answer, Jesus, you're worth it to share the gospel no matter what the cost. And you've got to answer that for yourself. Sitting generically on a piece of paper doesn't answer that. Second, embrace the gospel for salvation and maturity. There is not ever a second in your life you don't need the gospel. There is not one moment of ever getting to a place where you are beyond the reach and the need of the grace of God. Chris Fowler needs as much grace from Jesus Christ and his cross today as he needed when he started the journey. And so do you. We never, ever, ever mature beyond the need, the desperate, urgent need for grace to be applied. And so I would encourage you, embrace the gospel for salvation. Yes, you need to be saved. You are lost if you don't know Jesus. And I don't care how long you've been in church. You are lost if you don't know Jesus. And I don't care how far you've run from him and how ugly it's gotten. You're not beyond his offer of salvation. Embrace the gospel for salvation and for maturity. The gospel is supposed to touch how you do your work. The gospel is supposed to touch how you do your marriage. The gospel is supposed to touch how you treat people, including the ones that are going to wait on you. Don't worry, it's not going to be long. Including the ones that wait on you in like 10, 15 minutes. And it touches how you treat them and how you tip them and how you speak to them. It does. There's not any area of your life that is off limits to the gospel that it doesn't touch and change and radically adjust how it's supposed to be. And so embrace the gospel for both. And then last, for some of you, the gospel is saying rest. You have worked and you have strived and you've tried and you've done as hard as you can. And the gospel says, shh, I've forgiven you. The work is completed. You're saved. You're sealed. You're guaranteed. You don't have to earn one more thing from me. Done. But for a great many of us, the gospel says get to work. There is no such thing as sitting on our, can you say butts in church? There's no such thing as sitting on our butts as saved people, sitting in pews, watching the show, going and living how we want. That doesn't exist in the Christian life. So for some of you, the gospel is saying it is time to get back up, get in the game, get to work, engage in the mission, engage in your growth, engage in loving and serving the people around you, engage in getting in small groups and relationships to know each other and extend the mission among each other. The gospel is saying get to work to some people. And the problem is, is the people that are working themselves to death are hearing, oh man, I got to get to work. And I'm saying, no, rest, please rest. But for those of you that are resting and the gospel is just saying, please stand up and start again. Please get back up and go to work. 
Actually, it's not saying please. It's saying stand back up and get to work. Go. The gospel to some of us has to say rest because you are complete in Christ and totally accepted. And you can't earn anymore. And for others, the gospel says you get up and you give your life to the work of Christ. It's worth everything. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we humble ourselves as people forgiven by the blood of the cross. People who are made new by the blood of the cross. People who are what we are by your grace. And I pray you would be people, make us people that toil to exhaustion for the sake of the name of Jesus in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, with all we know. For the sake of the name of Jesus among the nations. Father, that we would give and sacrifice and toil for that. God, we have this message that's so worth it. We have this message that, yeah, there's a price, but it's worth it. We can do it with joy. So, Father, I pray you would speak to us. Speak to us very personally and very individually in this moment. And we pray for that in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.